Auburn didn't have one of those yesterday at all. Georgia got a little bit closer to the playoff, right? Just a little bit yesterday with Auburn losing. If you're a football fan, you know what I'm talking about. If not, you can disregard every part of that because you really don't care anyway. So what we've been talking about in this series is... Uh, last week, we introduced a series where we've opened up the playbook, so to speak, and we're looking at the X's and O's of relational health. And part of this is, uh, is going to be so practical for you. And yet I also know, and I've been praying for you, and just even in, in listening to you sing, like as we just sing about the good, good father and that we're no longer slaves to fear, I was just kind of overwhelmed in that moment. I thought, you know what? A lot of our people, a lot of people who are listening and watching right now are in the middle of this where you, you're just maybe coming to terms with you have a father in heaven who loves you and yet you haven't emotionally been able to experience that like he wants you to, maybe because of some choices you made or maybe choices made for you or things done to you by those choices. And yet I also know that maybe you grew up in a home of origin that just didn't have um, like a healthy base of relationships. So in the middle of this series, now we're officially about in the middle because it's only four weeks, that we're going to look at some things that are particularly maybe overwhelming to some. But yet I promise you there's going to be an encouragement here and there's going to be an encouragement here and some very practical things that you can do for everyone who you're in a relationship with. There's going to be a lot of this. I'm going to be heavy into parents, but there's a lot of this that you can also just relate to everyday life, even if you're not parents, to just use this in your friendships. And unfortunately, some of you may have aha moments. Both weeks I've had this so far. Aha moments where your kids are maybe out of the house and you're thinking, I really wish I would have known this 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago. And I just want you to know, God can make all things new. As he spurs in you to change, you can make a change and he can inspire you to change, to restore some brokenness, maybe that you even brought into those relationships years and years ago. God is a God of hope and it's a journey. He knows that you're on a journey. So we are um, gonna talk about some really, really cool things today. I wanna start in a somewhat of a, of a tense place um, just because some things that I've experienced over the last several months in my own personal study. I've been studying Exodus, and this is not the main passage this morning, but I've been studying Exodus, and there's something that God revealed to me months and months ago, particularly in Exodus 5, that I think pertains to you as a parent. And maybe you specifically as a parent, but also um, some parents in particular, we're guilty of this. Let me set the stage a little bit about what's happening in Exodus 5. The people of Israel are enslaved to the Egyptians. Pharaoh is the leader of the Egyptian empire. Now, the Israelites in that had heard from God that they were supposed to go to Pharaoh to, to get away from that enslavement to go out and worship the Lord in the wilderness. Well, if you have been around the Bible, been around church, you probably know that didn't go very well for them. And after the Israelites had gone to Pharaoh to ask for that, Pharaoh doubled down on them and what they were doing is making bricks. Then excuse me, Pharaoh, um, as, as the Israelites are enslaved to Pharaoh, that Pharaoh doubles down on them and he says, now you're not only gonna make the same quota of bricks, now you have to gain all of your own supplies. So he made it so much harder for them. He, in essence, was making it where they would not be able to go and experience the freedom that God wanted. Now, we know if you've been in the Bible and specifically you can look it up yourself through Exodus, some really crazy supernatural things happen. God moves in that. And, and every time that the, the Israelites, specifically Moses, would go back to Pharaoh and he would say, hey, you need to let my people go. Pharaoh would say, I'm not going to let your people go. And he'd say, well, if you don't let my people go, there's going to be these things that happen. And there's all sorts of plagues that happen. And eventually Pharaoh lets them go. But it's, it's after much heartache. You may be scratching your head and you're like, yeah, what does it have to do with this? You see, in this scenario, what, where my mind went is this. Oftentimes parents become the Pharaoh and the children become the Israelites. Oftentimes, 
The parents become Pharaoh and they become controlling and they don't want to release their kids into their into their purpose. They don't want to release their kids into their future. Instead, they become like Pharaoh, all for selfish means. Get get this. It's all for selfish means. And then they wrap their arms around their kids and eventually they smother their kids and they smother out their hopes. They smother out their dreams, all because the parents were a little bit selfish or perhaps a lot selfish. And that's the storyline that is in Exodus 5, because the people of Israel were to be sent out and God had given them the direction they were supposed to go. But yet they were enslaved to Pharaoh. And because Pharaoh wanted to control them and manipulate them and he was using them for his own gain, he says, I'm not going to let you go. Eventually he does. Parents, your children is what it says in Psalm 127, 3 and 4. Your children are a gift from the Lord, a reward from him. Stop and think about that for a minute. That means if your child wasn't planned, maybe your your home life was, was just a wreck in this time and now you have conceived a child. Maybe for you, you are the person who says, you know what, I just don't even know if I want kids and then boop, surprise. Like, and there goes, there goes the rest of your life. The next 18 years, you're like, okay, uh, there's a little shift here in the plan. Every one of those children are gifts from the Lord. Every one. And they're a reward from him. But get this, in the back end of this, children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. You see, arrows... We're not in this culture now, but arrows, if somebody is to be fighting with bows and arrows and somebody's have to ward off an enemy with an arrow, an arrow has no benefit if it stays in the quiver. It has to be released. It has to be sent in the direction of which it should, that it's supposed to go. And we as parents have to figure out the direction that our kids are supposed to go. That's one of the things we're supposed to do, not smother them, not control them, not manipulate them, but to release them in the way that they're supposed to go. That's one of the responsibilities that we have. I'll break it down this way. We as people want to be affirmed for who we are. That's gifts from God or the rewards from God and for what we're doing. Arrows being sent into adulthood with confidence and direction that we as people want to be affirmed for who we are. Gifts from God and rewards, straight Bible. And also, we want to be affirmed for what we're doing, arrows being sent into adulthood with confidence and direction. I'm going to give you a working person's definition of the word affirmation. Uh, Many of you haven't used this word this week or perhaps ever. So I want to give you this because then it'll give the grand understanding for the rest of this talk. Affirmation. And the way that I would have us define it today is emotional support or encouragement. People, all people, saved, unsaved people, all need affirmation. All of us. We all need it. It's just the way that we're made. Every person is made in the image of God. And part of that image bearing is the need for affirmation. It's, I don't believe that it's because of, of sin. I think we just need affirmation. Where sin enters in is, is our inability to receive the affirmation from God or perhaps us um, being unable or, or unwilling to give affirmation to other people or to be able to receive it from other people. That could be a consequence of sin. But largely, this is just part of the human experience. This is the way that God has made us, that we would have a longing for emotional support And we need encouragement. Amen? We all do. And as parents, specifically, we have to be looking for situations to affirm our kids. For you, as an adult, maybe you don't have kids. Your kids are long gone. You need to be looking for ways to affirm those who you're in relationship with. Three questions, much like the three questions from last week. As we tease this out, are all of your kids being affirmed? What we're going to see is next week how this even corresponds with the kids in your family. Because here's the thing. Listen to me, parents. You specifically, you are going to be more inclined to affirm the child that's like you. You are naturally going to affirm the child that's more like you because they're more like you. But are all of your children being affirmed? Second question, are all the people in your relational 
circle being affirmed? Are they all gaining emotional support and affirmation? Are all of them? And all of your relational circle? And again, third question, when it comes to God, do you feel affirmed? Do you feel affirmed? Like the emotional support that, that God wants, like you're, you're, you're in a close relationship with him and yet you feel it. It's not always just something you think, it's something you feel. God made us to have feelings, male and female. He made us to have feelings. And those feelings are a way of connecting with God and a way of connecting with other people. Not to be stuffed in a deep, dark hole. Not to be ignored, but to foster and to help them grow. So when it comes to, the, to these three areas, is their affirmation. We all desire to be affirmed and to believe that someone approves of who we are and what we do. We all desire to be affirmed and to believe that someone approves of who we are and what we do. Perhaps affirming others is hard to you or hard for you, maybe because you didn't have it modeled in your home. Maybe because what was modeled in your home was emotional distance. So in your family of origin, there, there wasn't this, this connectivity of emotions other than maybe an emotion of anger. And maybe there was just this, this imposed anger that was over your family that sent everybody in your home to be a little bit fearful and a little bit scared and to scurry away from your parents' emotional support. So it doesn't just come easy for us because maybe we grew up in an emotionally distant home. Maybe there wasn't anger, but maybe it was just emotionally distant. And perhaps because your parents weren't taught what I'm teaching you today. Perhaps it's, it's been a generational thing. And because of these generational things that now you've been living under this script of we just hide emotions. We are, we are non-emotional people. We're just emotionally distant. We're just not those people. We're just not feelers is perhaps what you've lived under. But yet, part of us being human is to feel. So maybe in your family, in your home of origin, maybe there was emotional distance where emotions just weren't welcome. Maybe you were the, maybe you were the oddball in the family where you just had, you were more emotional, you were emotions first and then thought after that, and there's, there's, that's okay. God makes us all differently. And, and maybe that you, you, were, you were emotional and in, you were in a family of people who were more intellectual than emotional. And you kind of felt like, was this even the right family for me to be born into? Like, are these my parents? Like, I hear that from time to time. And there's going to be hope for you. By the end of this talk, there's, there's going to be a lot of hope. Because even if your parents didn't show you, even if you yourself don't even know how to right now, you can have it. There's hope. You see, when people are not affirmed, they develop some very, very bad habits. First bad habit people form if they're not affirmed is perfectionism. I define perfectionism as this, and if, if you struggle with perfectionism like I do, you know what this is. Perfection is. Perfectionism is this. It's the inner critic. It's, it's just not good enough. Maybe you see things that, you just see a bunch of things that need to be fixed. So, so you're thinking it's not perfect. Nobody else seems to care, but yet you do. And because there's this inner critic, it says, you see it, you've got to fix it. And if it's broken and you don't fix it, it's not going to be perfect. Perhaps the reason why that you have this longing and just this, okay, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do, got to do. Maybe the reason why you have that is because you weren't affirmed when you were younger. And maybe now you just have this, this inner critic. I'll tell you a little bit of my story. When I was really, really young, and I've told this story that I used to play baseball and I make a joke of it, the SNW Pest Control. And I said, have you guys heard about this team? Because it won the championship back in the 80s, 1980s. It was a long time ago. And we won the championship and nobody seemed to care. And yet the other side of it that I didn't share with you is this. All, that was the, the funny and, the, and that was the cool side of it. What I didn't tell you is this that I was the one who had to ride my bike to practices and I had to ride my bike to games and I would go through the games and it didn't matter how well I did at the games because my parents weren't in the seats to see it. 
And then to follow up with that, then I rode my bike home. And then as I rode my bike home, there was an emotional distance within the home. And it's like nobody affirmed how well I did on the baseball field. You may think, well, what does this have to do with baseball? This permeated every aspect of my life. And now I fight perfectionism and I know now because of the work of God in my life, which is why I can tell you there's hope in this. The work of God in my life is it's not my job to make things perfect. They're never going to be perfect. Sin was introduced into humanity. Look it up for yourself in Genesis 3. It's never going to be perfect. And it's not my job description to make everything perfect. But maybe for you, you have this inner critic that needs to be surrendered to Jesus. That's perfectionism. Perhaps your stories like mine where you weren't affirmed when you were younger. Another thing that, that people do and form bad habits is they strive for individualism or individuality and independence. So this is after years of neglect and after years of not having the affirmation, you just throw your hands up and you're like, you know what, I'm not going to get it. So now you just try and numb those feelings and try and deaden those feelings and say, I'm just going to live for me now. And now as a consequence, you can't be relationally close to other people. You can't even be relationally close to your spouse. You can't really be relationally close to a friend. There's always this, this, this challenge between you and them. Maybe because you weren't affirmed when you were younger. And now you are the individual. Maybe you are the rugged individualist. It's because you didn't have somebody cheering you on for what you were doing when you were growing up. People tend to walk around angry. This is the person who has a chip on their shoulder. This is the person that you may avoid at work, or maybe you are the person they avoid at work because you have a chip on your shoulder. And that chip on your shoulder is you're prone to anger because you never had somebody affirming you. You never had somebody saying, good job, well done, affirming your uniqueness, affirming what you do. So now you're angry. And the sad, sad thing about this is you can go through years of this anger and not even know where it comes from. But maybe it might be telling you right now, it'll the Holy Spirit would spark some understanding in you. Also, people may become manipulative because after all, if you, can't, if you can't affirm me, then I have to manipulate you so you do affirm me. It's a way that sin is introduced there that I'm, I'm manipulating you to get what I ultimately need. Although it's a natural desire, sin has a way of getting that desire and manipulating to do so. And the last one, pastorally speaking, this is the one that crushes my soul. People may use sexuality. If they haven't been affirmed, they use their sexuality to gain popularity. And in this, they will, they will put aside their own purity for the popularity. It's because maybe you as parents haven't affirmed your kids or you're, you have made some choices, some immoral choices in your life and God can forgive all those choices. We have to live with those choices, but God can forgive all those choices. And maybe the reason why you did what you did is you didn't have somebody affirming you, somebody who was lifting you up and encouraging you through your life. And instead, you started to use your sexuality. Perhaps your kids started to use their, their sexuality to gain affirmation from someone else. And they put aside their purity for popularity. And this is the one, I tell you as a pastor, and I say this from a broken heart, this is the one that grieves my soul because I see this 10 years before it happens. I've seen this 10 years before it happens. I've seen it, I've seen it, Years before it happens, and then when it happens, I was like, did nobody see that slow-moving train that was gaining speed that led to this decision? And everybody else is surprised, but I'm not. But I'm not their parents. I'm not their parents. I realize how heavy all of this is, and maybe you sit back and say, man, my life is is all jacked up, like you just said everything about my life and you explained exactly why I'm in the situation that I'm in. But I want you to see this from the scriptures. You don't even have to have a life that's all messed up to need to be affirmed. What we're gonna see today in Matthew 11 is this. We're gonna see that John the Baptist had to be affirmed and John the Baptist did incredible things for God. Incredible things for God. John the Baptist, even before, he, even before Elizabeth, his mother, gave birth to him, he was set apart as an arrow. You can read it for yourself. 
Even before he was born, his, his parents knew that he was going to be set apart for God's purposes. They knew that. So then he was raised in such a way that he was going to be set apart as an arrow for God's purposes. We're going to see that he needs to be affirmed. He needs to be affirmed. John the Baptist is an interesting guy because he was a little bit socially awkward. He lived and his ministry was out in the wilderness. He did have disciples, so he wasn't necessarily lonely, but he did spend extreme amount of times in solitude. And that will do something to you. And yet we know this about John the Baptist, that he, he had a very particular diet. Um, if you've read his storyline, he ate locusts. So yeah, that's gross, right? Like locust. Like John, is that all you had? Apparently that's all he had. I thought about this during the 915. I, I didn't study this part out. I thought about how socially awkward that would be. Like you're eating locust. How much of a distance do you have to be someone to avoid that bad breath? You don't have to think about that. Like locust breath. I don't even know what that's like. Um, tell me if you want to go there. I don't even know. That's just gross. But that was one of the things that, that he did. He ate locusts, and it says that in the scripture, so I believe it to be true. And also, his wardrobe was particular. He didn't, like, go to the buckle to buy his clothes. Um, he went to, like, I don't know, some back shelf of tractor supply, and, like, his clothes were, like, made of camel's hair. I'm assuming you can get that at tractor supply. Y'all can correct me later if you can't. Uh, of course, I'm just kidding. I love tractor supply. Some of you are like, you're just knocking on my store. I love it. It's cool. I like it. But he, his, his, he wasn't the most fashionable guy. He was a really odd guy. His diet was odd. His clothing was odd. And even his message was very provocative. His, his message was very divisive because he just seemed to walk around and say, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Like, if that is your message and that's what you say all the time, initially, I'm not going to think you're going to make a lot of friends. Like, I, I'm just... Like, to think about that at work. Like, if that's the thing you said, you're like, hey, my name is Chad. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Like, think about that. Like, if that was your message, it could be true, but it's a little divisive. Now, John, he's, this is years into his ministry. By the way, he's the one who would baptize Jesus. So that's pretty neat. And he's the one who reluctantly uh, baptized Jesus. As a matter of fact, he's like, I'm not worthy of doing I'm not. I can't. I'm, I'm not worthy of doing this. And Jesus says, no, it's going to happen, and you're going to do it. And he did. And now he, I would consider him a hero of the faith. Uh, we're going to see today in this passage that, that he was the last of the great prophets. They, they tie him with Elijah. The, the prophet Malachi, right before the, the 400 years between Old Testament and New Testament, he, he prophesies about John. He says, that there's this messenger is coming. This full expectation for hundreds of years. He's a great man of God. But even great men and women of God need to be affirmed along the way. Let's see for ourselves. Matthew 11, verses 1 through 15. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard... In prison, this is an important note, in prison, what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? This is a very telling question. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who, who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? So he says the same question three different times. First thing, he says, What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? He said, Did you did you expect to go out there and see this weak and frail man, maybe because of his diet? Did you expect to see him? He's just living out in the desert, that he's just going to be weak and feeble? Verse 8, he says, well, if not, well, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? I already told you the answer to that, unless, of course, you assume that camel's-haired clothing is fine clothes. But Jesus said, no, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Verse 9, third question, then what did you go out to see? 
A prophet? Ah, we're on to something. He says, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. Here's Malachi 3.1. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wow. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and, and the law prophesied until John. If you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah, a hero of their faith who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. So let's cycle back to verse 1 and 2. And we're going to see that Jesus had just finished instructing his 12 disciples. And he, he went on from there and he was teaching and preaching in the towns around the area of Galilee. That is not uncommon. That's just what Jesus did. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him the question, John was in prison because he was boldly speaking out against Herod Antipas and his wife at the time, whose name was Herodias. Their marriage was adulterous. It was adulterous and it was just straight weird because Herod Antipas was the half uncle of his wife. And all people said, yuck, right? Like, that's just the way it is. But John, he, he is boldly speaking out against this nastiness and this adulterous relationship. He says, no, no, no. And they had, one of them rather, had just broken off a marriage just so, her, Herod Antipas had just broke off a marriage so he could be with Herodias. And now it's all sick and twisted. And now John is in prison because he actually spoke the truth. And they didn't like it. So they threw him in prison. What's confusing is this. It's well noted that Herod Antipas actually liked to hear John the Baptist preaching. Apparently he was interested and he was drawn to John's message. There was something intriguing about it. And yet in the middle of this, now he, he finds himself, John finds himself in prison for doing the right thing. Interesting. Now he's in prison for doing the right thing. And, and we can actually see how the story plays out. Because in Matthew 14, 1 and 2, it tells the sick and sadistic story about how John the Baptist was beheaded. I'm not going to read all of this. I apologize for everybody who's flipping right now because I, I heard your pages. It was so close and tempting. You can look at it later. But he was beheaded because these same people... Herod Antipas was, was such a weak leader and he was so passive in his leadership and yet he was a tyrant to where his now daughter comes before him and she, she, she just flaunts herself before him and, and he basically just makes this promise to her that she can have anything, like just, uh, just a large amount of the empire and she says, no, all I really want, this is a paraphrase version, says now what all I really want is the head of John the Baptist on a platter. How sick and sadistic. So the same man could have said, no, this should not happen. This man hasn't done anything wrong. I know we disagree with him because he's been saying this, but he's going to sit in prison. He doesn't need to be beheaded. But instead, he becomes passive and he makes happen what his daughter had wanted, his daughter Salome. And he himself is beheaded not long after what we're reading in this main passage. So it's the same prison cell that he would be in until he's beheaded. But he's in prison. It's confusing because he's in prison for saying the truth. But notice the question that he throws out in verse 3. And I said this was a telling question. Matthew eleven three, John the Baptist says this, Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Because all of John's life and ministry and purpose rest on this answer to the answer to this question. Because 
Now he's going out and now there's this interplay between Jesus and Jesus' disciple. He says, okay, are you the one who's to come or should I expect someone else? What he's asking is and what he's needing affirmation for is this. I'm in a jail cell. My life turned out a little differently than I thought it was going to. And now I'm here and is it worth it? And he wants to be affirmed that his life is worth it, that what he's doing is right. He's a hero of the faith, set apart from birth, from before birth, that conception, set apart to do God's work. He's, he was an arrow, living out the reality of what we talked about in Psalm 127, 3 and 4. He was an arrow, and he needs to be affirmed along the way. And he asked this question, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Are you the one, or should we expect Someone else. Two different passages. These will be on the screen. You don't need to flip there. These are things that John anticipated. He was anticipating the Messiah to come. He was anticipating this that we see in Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So I, I expected some miracles to happen. There's going to be some signs that the Messiah is here. He had this expectation, but also in Isaiah 29, 18 and 19. In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll and out of the gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see once more. The humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Like this is what he was expecting. This is what he's expecting. And yet also what led him to this confusion was some of the things that Jesus was doing that we see in Matthew 9, 14. We see that, that Jesus' disciples didn't fast like what was told in the Old Testament law. We also see that, that Jesus' willingness in Matthew 9, 9 and 10, that Jesus was willing to sit down with tax collectors and sinners. And John had heard these things and he didn't have a category in his mind where to put them because the expectation for the Messiah was, yes, there's gonna be some healing, but it's gonna be more of a, a political reform, a political leader and a social, social leader and social reform and, and, and the religious leader in all, all bundled into one. And yet what he didn't expect was that Jesus would, would break the barrier, break the barrier, so to speak, in between, in between the divine and the human, and that Jesus would be amongst sinners. He just didn't have a category in his mind for that. And now he's in a jail cell. After his message, being repent for the kingdom of God is near, wondering, where's the kingdom of God now? Look what Jesus says in verse 4. Let's read it again together through verse six. This is how Jesus answers him. This is how Jesus affirms him. It's exactly what John needed at the moment of crisis. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. He says, John, I am the Messiah. What you did was not in vain. It was all worth it. John, your, your life was brought up into, into the middle of this grand story and your part is so significant that you did your part, John. No matter how this turns out, you did what you were supposed to do. Even heroes need to be affirmed. You see, John the Baptist was a great man of God. John the Baptist, he was somebody who, who we would think, well, may, especially in the Americanized version of Christianity, that he would just rely upon his strengths. But he didn't rely upon his strengths. 
He himself had a close relationship with God, but he still needed to be affirmed. You and I will still go through dark nights of the soul. We will still go through physical crisis in our life. We'll still go through times where we, we just sense this, relation or this relational distance, whether it's because we've sinned or somebody's sinned against us. We always will have this longing for affirmation like John. So now I want to give you some takeaways. First for the parents. Actually, first, I want to go through this. This paves the way for the parental takeaway. The reason why we want to be affirmed. And one of, the, one of the ways that we can verify that even today is this. People walk around asking this question. What do others think of me? What do others think of me? Guys, I'll prove it to you. And don't, don't, even, don't even bluff your way through this. I know you do it. Okay. Guys, when you get in a group of other guys, you walk a little bit straighter, you suck in your gut, you throw your chest out, your back's automatically straight, you have the best posture you've ever had in your life, right? All the while, while you do this, you're acting out this question, what do others think of me? Because you want to be seen as strong, you want to be seen as whatever the version of man is that that's longing for. Ladies, you're most likely not doing that, but what you're doing is before you get in a social setting, you spend that extra three, five, ten minutes in front of the mirror. Right? Just a little bit longer. It's because we're asking ourselves these questions. What do others think of me? This can be good. This can be bad. But we're asking ourselves these questions. And you know that when people have been subjected to a lot of criticism or when somebody lacks affirmation if they do this, if there's lying. We ask ourselves that question. We also have some telltale signs in our lives if we're not being affirmed or if you're being subjected to a lot of criticism which goes against the affirmation when there's lying. And I bet somebody, someone in here can tell me Who's the first person we lie to? Ourselves. Who is it that we lie to the most? Ourselves. We could even lie to ourselves and think, you know what? I'm not lovable. I'm not likable. I'm not worthy of friends. I'm lonely. I'm going to struggle with fear for the rest of my life. I'm going to have no quality relationships. I can never be affirmed. I can never be encouraged. I can never be the parent I'm supposed to be. I can never be the man I'm supposed to be. I can never be the woman I'm supposed to be. All of those are lies. By the power of God, everything that I just mentioned can be overcome. So if there's lying, it's evidence that you have been extremely criticized or there's been a lack of affirmation in your life. Again, if there's perfectionism, this idea I'm never good enough, I'm just never even good, the shame side. Or if there's self-doubt. This is the person, they, 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 they can't be by themselves. They can't even stand by themselves. They haven't even necessarily learned how to even walk with God yet because, they're, they're, because of the self-doubt, they're, they're relying. Unfortunately, what happens is they, they find themselves, because they haven't been affirmed early in age or even in their, day or in, in their life, they, they align themselves with somebody who's stronger than them because they themselves struggle with self-doubt. And when they align themselves with somebody stronger than them, the problem with this is if that strong person is ever removed, they have crippling fear all rooted in self-doubt, all because perhaps you didn't have somebody affirming you or you don't have somebody affirming you. And now you struggle with self-doubt. Now, the parental takeaways are this. There's four of them. If you're not a parent, you can tune out. You need to tune in in a minute, though. For parents... Affirm your kids by being emotionally present. Affirm your kids by being emotionally present. I'm going to say something firm. I don't care what your, what your family of origin was like. Men, women, you need to be pursuing the emotions of your kids. 
If you don't pursue the emotions of your kids, somebody else will, will do that for you. Somebody else will fill that gap. Affirm them by giving them age-appropriate responsibility. Age-appropriate responsibility. Something I noted here was this. A controlling parent doesn't produce a young adult who trusts Jesus. It produces an emotionally unstable young adult who will be forever dependent on their parents. So I'll put this another way. If you don't want your son living in your house when he's 35, perhaps give them age-appropriate responsibility when they're younger. Some humor, but also true. Third thing is this. Affirm their uniqueness as image bearers of God. Affirm their uniqueness as image bearers of God, which means you need to affirm the body type of your children. You need to affirm the eye color of your children. You need to affirm the hair color of your children. You need to affirm that your children, each one of them is set apart and each one of them has value in your eyes and affirm them and encourage them for who they are and for who God sees them as. Not for who you want them to be, but for who they are. Celebrating their uniqueness. And then lastly, affirm them as arrows. When you affirm them as arrows, that means that you, you're confident in, in what you've done as a parent and you can release them into their future. You can release them into the direction that God wants them to go. You can release them into their purpose, just like John the Baptist was released. Now, for the rest of our time together, it's only a couple moments, but I want to share these, these three things. You may be overwhelmed right now and thinking, you know what, I, I don't even have this. You, like, I don't even have this. You just said I don't have it, and then you reminded me, well, I'll never have it. I, I want to give you something that's not a secret. But I, I want to take you to this place. I want to give you these, these three things. The first one you see on the screen. That God gives the emotional strength that you need. God gives the emotional strength you need. God gives the affirmation that you need. I didn't have for my parents what God gave to me and what God gave me was enough that it would spill over into other people. That's the work of the gospel. That's one of the beauties of the gospel. That God affirmed me for who I am. So now I, I go back and I can go back to God and say, God, yes, this is who you're making me to be. So then I can go out and affirm my kids. And I'm not perfect at it. I can affirm other people when I see them doing what they're supposed to. Because God gives you emotional strength that you need. What's interesting about this passage is this was the first passage really that meant a significant amount to me. Fresh after my salvation, after I was radically brought into a loving relationship with my heavenly father through the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. Marla and I had decided to go to Family Christian Bookstore. Remember those? And we went to a Family Christian Bookstore and I bought my first Bible. Now, I was, I was a little confused because back in those days, I thought the bigger the Bible you had, the more holy you were. So that's just, that's what I thought. So Marla and I got like, I think it was the thickest Bible that we could get at least it seemed that way. And I don't know, it just seemed like all the holy people also had like these big Bible covers. So not only did you have like this huge Bible, but also there was just this massive like briefcase feeling thing with a handle. You could either let it suspend or up and down. I mean, you didn't want to let go of that thing. It was never going to get dirty. And because it was the 90s, it was teal green. Don't judge me. It was popular back then. And it had this verse on it actually. And it had like these these eagle, like this eagle and this image on it. And I remember it vividly, but this verse meant a lot to me. And I remember when just after I'd gotten saved and I was out at sea and I had this Bible when I was out at sea on my second deployment. And I remember having this Bible and I remember looking at the front of that over and over and over again. And I remember it just, it just searing into me. Not just the words, but what it meant. And it was in those days that I, 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 didn't, 
I knew that I didn't have an earthly father who did all of these things, but I had a heavenly father who was cheering me on. God gives the emotional strength that we need. This is what the verse says. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. There's such hope in that, such hope in that. But it doesn't just stop with us on an individual level. The second thing that we'll see following after this is now we're to affirm and encourage others. So as God gives us what we need and he affirms us and he affirms, he affirms us in our uniqueness and also he affirms the things that we do right and that we do well, God never affirms sin. Don't, don't hear me wrong. He never affirms sin, ever. But now, out of the affirmation that God gives, we're to affirm and encourage others. And this is what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And the being patient with everyone is the very thing that's going to allow you to do the first three. Now this is what we're supposed to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to, to warn those who are idle. So if somebody is, is truly in the faith and they go idle and they go passive in their walk with God, when they become passive, other people who are in the faith need to encourage them, say, no, 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 this is not who you are. This is not what you're meant to do. You need to get back on purpose, back on God's plan. You need to surrender. You need to repent. You need to humble yourself and get back to where God wants you to be. That is warning those who are idle and then encouraging the timid helping the weak and being patient with everyone because we need patience to do the first three. Lastly, it's this. When we affirm others, our relationships get healthier because we get healthier. When we affirm others, so it starts with God and now we're gonna affirm others and when we affirm others, our relationships get healthier because we get healthier. This is what it says in Romans 15, 5. May God, who gives the patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with one another or with each other, as is fitting for the followers of Jesus Christ. You see, these three things that we just landed on, if you would start taking these to heart, then you can go out and affirm other people, even if you didn't have it yourself. This is where it starts. It doesn't start with inside you. It starts with God as God initiates relationship with people and they surrender to God and they meet that initiation with surrender. That's the only thing we can offer God a surrender. We offer God a surrender. Then he makes a better self. And out of that better self, then there starts to be emotional healing after the spiritual healing. And then, and then as things start to make sense. And as God does a work in you, then we can feel the affirmation. That's not something you just think about. You feel the affirmation. Then out of, out of God's affirmation and God's initiation, that spills over into other relationships. And then when it spills over into other relationships, that's when, that's when our families change. That's when we stop hiding. That's when we can stop lying to ourselves. That's when we don't have to just live with perfectionism. That's when we can get outside of our self-doubt because the problem with self-doubt is the first word, self. But leaning heavily on Jesus. You see, I'll illustrate it in this way and I'm through. By me giving you these three things, it's in essence the, the same thing if we were going to go to a dinner party together. And maybe I had invited you to a dinner party. And I picked you up. You're all blinged out, camel hair. We're getting ready to eat locusts, like however it works out in this dinner party, right? Just we're going full on with this whole John the Baptist thing. But like we're going to go to a dinner party and we're together and I invited you. And maybe I even, I said, man, we're, gonna, we're going, but we're going to take a limo. And it's going to be great. It's not like one of those cheap limos. This is like stretched, 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 stretched. It's got everything, right? We're gonna have a blast. You see, 
And maybe we, we take the red carpet and we walk into this dinner party and it's amazing. You see, I can bring you to the party, but it's up to you to mingle. I can bring you to an understanding of these things, but it's up to you to delight in God. I, I, can, I can bring you to these, this level of understanding, but you have to surrender. You have to mingle with the Holy Spirit of God. You have to receive the love of the Father that was expressed through the Son. You have to. I can take you there, but it's up to you to mingle. I don't know what it is that you need to do today. I really don't. I believe there's somebody in this room who needs to make a decision to do something today. Perhaps the decision's already been made and you just, you, God has just seared that in you. And you're like, this is what I need to do. Maybe it's surrender. Maybe it's just taking a posture of humility at your house. Maybe for you, it's taking all of that and going to your kids and saying, you know what? I'm sorry that I didn't affirm you when you were younger. I'm gonna strive to do better now. Uh, God has, has shown me. And, and maybe for you, that just comes with a simple level of saying, I'm sorry. And maybe that's your act of repentance, that it can change. But here's one thing I know. If we get this right, it can change everything about us, everything about our relationships, and that we can set an example for the rest of the community what healthy relationships look like. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this understanding. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that, God, you've given us the pathway of hope. And Jesus, you are our anchor. That we would not be swayed by our emotions, by our brokenness, by lies, by manipulation, by immorality. But Jesus, we can rest in you and the hope that's found in you. That you, Jesus, are the anchor for our souls. And that the Father loves in such a way that we're no longer slaves. We're not enslaved to fear. We're people of promise. We're people of hope. And we're people of purpose. Because of you, Jesus, we praise you. Amen.